Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We begin with an update on a wildfire burning in far northern California's Siskiyou County. Two people are now confirmed dead in the McKinney Fire that's burning out of control in northern California. Driven by strong winds, the McKinney Fire has burned more than 52,000 acres and has prompted evacuations in and around the town of Wairika. The blaze is 0% contained and has destroyed more than 100 homes and other structures. The two people who died were found inside their car in a driveway in the town of Klamath River. That's according to Siskiyou County Sheriff Jeremy LaRue. The McKinney Fire is the largest fire so far in California this fire season. The mix of fires, drought, and even record rainfall in some parts of California are taking a toll on the state's infrastructure. A new federal program unveiled last week could funnel hundreds of millions of dollars to the Golden State to help safeguard its roads and bridges. KCRW's Kaylee Wells explains. Part of the Biden administration's trillion-dollar infrastructure package includes more than $7 billion to help states make their highways, rail lines, and coasts more resilient against a changing climate. California could get $631 million of those dollars. That's good news for the Golden State, where climate change manifests in many ways. Rolling blackouts during heat waves, the almost year-round fire season, mudslides in burn scars as a result of those fires, and the latest round of water restrictions caused by the ongoing drought. It's all caused billions in property damage in just the past five years. The money from the feds could improve fire evacuation routes, fund vegetation management in high wildfire risk areas, or restore aquatic ecosystems. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. California public health officials say they don't see the need, at least not yet, to declare a statewide emergency over the monkeypox virus, similar to the local one declared by the city of San Francisco last week. California Department of Public Health Chief Thomas Aragon stressed that the state is taking advantage of tools used to respond to COVID-19 to address monkeypox. We continue to review everything and we'll decide um, whether we need to do anything additional like declare a public health emergency. Aragon said the state has reported nearly 800 cases of monkeypox, the majority in San Francisco and Los Angeles. 11 people in California have been hospitalized. No one has died. Adults with young kids and their germs could provide some protection against severe COVID illness, according to a new study by Kaiser Permanente of Northern California. Researchers compared more than half a million adults and found that those without children were 49% more likely to be hospitalized and 76% more likely to admitted to an ICU than those with young kids at home. It begs the question, you know, could having a young child in daycare and all those runny noses somehow have protected you from severe COVID illness? Possible. 
That's Dr. Matt Solomon, a cardiologist and one of the researchers of the study. But Solomon says even if parents do gain some partial protection from their kids, vaccines are still the gold standard. Another large warehouse complex is slated for Southern California's Inland Empire, which is east of Los Angeles. The region is home to over a billion square feet of warehouses. By some estimates, 40% of the nation's consumer goods come through the Inland Empire. As KVCR's Jonathan Linden reports, one of the latest proposed warehouses would be next door to an elementary school in the small community of Bloomington in San Bernardino County. A wind chime hangs from the awning of Natalie Santos's home in Bloomington. She lives less than a mile from Zimmerman Elementary School, which has a special place in her heart. We love that school so much. Like my siblings, all of us went there as kids. As a mom of a three-year-old, she looked forward to sending her son there too. But now, the future of Zimmerman Elementary is up in the air. It sucks because I really wanted to put my son into that school. It's up in the air because a large warehouse complex may move in next door. Called the Bloomington Business Park, it would be nearly 2.8 million square feet in size. That's about 45 football fields. County supervisors still need to approve it. But the school district says if the supervisors vote yes on the Bloomington Business Park, the school would need to move for safety reasons. It's like an insurance policy. That's Katie Orloff with the Colton Joint Unified School District. She says some of the district's safety concerns are air pollution from trucks going in and out, plus the noise. We don't have any control over whether or not this development is approved by the County Board of Supervisors. So the best thing we can do for our students and staff is to figure out how we can provide them with a safer environment if it does get approved. So after months of negotiations, the school district settled on a deal with the warehouse developer. In exchange for the school property, the district would receive nearly $45 million, which they say they'll use to build a brand new school about a three-minute drive away. Orloff says the design will incorporate the latest technology. It's going to have better safety measures, the most up-to-date filtration and uh, noise reduction features. Orloff says the school district is happy with the plan. Some parents, though, are angry with the school district, arguing they shouldn't have made the deal with the developer. And many Bloomington residents are just tired of warehouses popping up left and right in their community. That includes 20-year-old Helen Castillos, who spoke up during a recent community meeting. It's like really upsetting to see, like walking out of your house and then just being able to see the warehouse view everywhere. When before it was like such a beautiful equestrian view, then now it's not like that anymore. According to data from the real estate website Commercial Cafe, at least four warehouses totaling over 1.2 million square feet have opened in Bloomington in the last four years. Bloomington is a rural community that's predominantly Latino. The small town feeling is what encouraged Natalie Santos, the mom of the three-year-old, to raise her family here. We're all a big family, like people here and their big family, all of us know each other. With the growing number of warehouses, though, and the possible relocation of Zimmerman Elementary School, Santos says it's gotten to the point where she may not stay in Bloomington. Who knows, maybe we have to look into moving somewhere else because this was our small little town that we love so much. The developer of the proposed Bloomington Business Park, Howard Industrial Partners, did not return a request for comment. For the California Report, I'm Jonathan Linden in Bloomington. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Let's turn now to housing, in particular public housing, even in a state where millions struggle to find and keep an affordable place to live, building more of it in California hasn't been a popular solution. That's because over the decades, public housing has become synonymous with segregation of blacks and Latinos, warehousing of the poor, and terrible living conditions. But in Los Angeles's Watts neighborhood, one massive public housing project called Jordan Downs is in the midst of what will be a decades-long, $1 billion transformation that will more than double the number of people living there. Its redevelopment is also supposed to show the potential of public housing if done right. And just how dramatic and unusual are the changes happening at Jordan Downs for the people who live there? Well, let Rick Chilton, a third-generation Jordan Downs resident, tell you. I met Chilton one morning as we watched workers build new apartments in the middle of the sprawling housing complex. So what do you think of all this? This right here, we would never think this right here would happen. I would never think in my wildest dream that they would be tearing down the projects. What's being torn down in slow stages is the old Jordan Downs. Row after row of decaying barrack-style housing units dating back to the 1940s. Bars are over every single window, and big no-trespassing signs are on every building. What's replacing this is the new Jordan Downs. Townhouse-style apartment buildings painted in warm earth tones with small patios on the first floor and balconies on the floors above. None of the windows have bars over them. Honestly, the new Jordan Downs looks and feels like a new suburban apartment complex and not public housing in Watts. So the building that I used to live in was right here, but it's demolished now. That's Shankita Perkins, a lifelong Jordan Downs resident. She was among the first people to move into the first phase of Jordan Downs redevelopment. Oh, yes. I remember like yesterday. Um... It was really exciting. Like, I couldn't even sleep at night because I was just like, it was just awesome. Like, I couldn't sleep. I kept walking around the house. I was eager to decorate. So, yeah, it was really exciting. But the changes at Jordan Downs go way beyond new apartments. On reclaimed industrial land right next to the housing project, there's a new 115,000-square-foot shopping center called Freedom Plaza. In a part of L.A. that's often been described as a retail desert, here, Jordan Downs residents and the wider community can find a supermarket, bank, clothing stores, restaurants, and the only Starbucks in Watts. Many who work in the businesses live at Jordan Downs. Watts resident Sherry Edison says the shop 
shopping center is something people have wanted here for decades. It's closer to me, you know, where I live, instead of having to go out the area. I'm glad they brought it to the area, like the Nike store. I like Nike. And the supermarket, oh, too? Oh, excellent. And the restaurants? Oh, yes. I love the Habit Grill. Uh, the burgers are the bomb. <laughs> Now, other public housing projects have been redeveloped in the U.S., most notably in Chicago, but those projects soon became political powder kegs. Residents complained they had little say in planning what would come next, and housing activists argued public housing redevelopment was a euphemism for pushing poor people of color out of neighborhoods to make way for gentrification. Doug Guthrie, the CEO of L.A.'s Housing Authority, says when it comes to the redevelopment of Jordan Downs, everything has been done to keep residents informed and part of the process. Got to get the community buy-in to all this. I mean, you absolutely have to, to have a, a successful outcome in this. And so we spent years at Jordan Downs engaging the community and uh, we didn't make any promises we felt we couldn't, we couldn't keep. One key promise at Jordan Downs is a right of return, guaranteeing that everyone who lived there before redevelopment can come back after it's done if they want to. So there hasn't been any forced displacement at all so far. We don't anticipate any. But promising residents they could return to Jordan Downs doesn't mean there weren't plans to change the kinds of people living there. The redevelopment project is adding hundreds of new units to Jordan Downs on purchased land. It was hoped the new units would be rented out at or near full market rates, and some newcomers might even buy units. But that idea has been largely shelved for now, says Marco Ramirez. He's with Bridge Housing, one of the nonprofit developers of Jordan Downs. We can't see ourselves justifying market rate units in this community when there are so many people struggling to make rents. And so market rate units or market rate rents don't make sense right now. And there have been other changes and complications in Jordan Downs' transformation. The adjacent properties that were purchased to build the shopping center and additional housing are on former industrial sites. There are lingering concerns about toxic pollution in the soil, despite cleanup efforts. Then there's the speed of redevelopment. There have been big delays getting federal, state, and private financing for the project, which have set back construction deadlines. Five years after building started, more than half of Jordan Downs' residents still live in the old buildings. Again, here's Marco Ramirez. To date, we have um, between our first and second phase, we have about 300 original Jordan residents living in the new apartments. So 300 about, and how many more to go? We have about 400. 400 more to go, yeah. so you're less than halfway through. Yeah, I'd say we're like 40-ish percent uh, through the redevelopment. Ramirez says some Jordan Downs residents might have to wait 10 years or more before their new buildings are ready as construction deadlines get pushed back. With many of her friends and neighbors still living in old Jordan Downs housing, resident Shankita Perkins says she feels fortunate. I feel like I got lucky because I was in the right spot at the right time. Looking ahead, there are plans to redevelop two other smaller public housing projects in Los Angeles. But housing officials acknowledge there are no plans to do something on the same scale as Jordan Downs for L.A.'s other large public housing projects. Planning, building, and financing the projects, they say, are just too difficult. And that's the California Report from Monday, August 1st. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Have a great day.
Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.